Heavy Cardboard, episode 60. It's all new to us. Coming to you from the edge of the world, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So Christmas has come and gone. Yeah, that happened fast. It did, um, but I'm kind of glad, but our tree's still up. Yes, yes it is. But I wasn't really too terribly much in the Christmas spirit really at all this year. I don't know if it was kind of the house being in flux with the basement and everything. So I usually am fighting tooth and nail to not take down the tree, but this year I'm like, yeah, okay. That can that can happen soon as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So you're still getting over your strep and thrush. Yes, and that is has been horrible. And, and I imagine that impacted Christmas somewhat too. Probably, yeah. Whenever you feel like absolute crap, you're not really going to be able to be gung-ho about Christmas. Right. But... Um, I'm finally on the mend, I think. I lose my voice still, but not as not anywhere nearly as bad frog sounding as I was. And that's why we didn't have an episode last week. Yes, because who wants to hear me croak? Like croak as in Like frog? sound like this. Oh, okay. Not like, like die. Okay. I'm sure people would like to see me. No, stop. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to putting 2016 in the rear view for so many, so many reasons. Yes. We've been invited to be the featured guests at the Arizona Game Fair the weekend of January 20th. So if you're in the Phoenix area and looking to play games, we'll be there. So yeah. come on out and uh, and play games with us. Yes, please. It's the inaugural Arizona Game Fair put on by a buddy of ours invited us down. So yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be fun. As you mentioned, construction in the basement is done. Painting's complete. Final cleanup and final inspect are supposed to be later this week. Realistically, we expect it to be sometime next week. So, yeah, then we can finally move down there. Finally. Finally. As far as endless game day going on, I believe today is day 60. So, 60 days. No, it's 61, and, Okay, and counting. Links in the show notes if you f- want to follow along, maybe challenge yourself to get away from the TV and make more time for gaming. Yes, it's been so much fun. It really has. Yeah. Hi, it's Albon Villar. I'm with Edward, the manager of the, the headquarters of Heavy Cardball. We are actually at the fair. Uh, it's 9 o'clock. Oh, no, it's 8 o'clock. Yes. Close enough. Yes. And I'm also the designer of Card City, Thompson Center Clinic. What else? Small City. And finally, Tramways. Yes. And I have fun with uh, Heavy Cardboard. Our contest wrapped up, yeah? Yep. We had almost 70 entries for our Paris Connection Transcontinental Expansion Map giveaway. Some were really, really awesome. Uh, the most favorited episodes, and I won't go into the reasons everyone gave, but episode 43, the VTOL Lacerda interview, episode 29, the 18XX primer, the episode 27, the Splatter interview, 52, our top 50 games was hugely popular. Oh, really? It really was. And uh, the SM Preview Show also mm. was hugely popular. Nice. People love their lists. So, hey, lots of downloads this episode. Yay. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, the, uh, there were a lot of different uh, ones mentioned, which to me seems like a good sign. And I got to say, Kent, 
Thanks for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> we did randomly choose the winner from those who took the time to explain why their favorite episode was as it was. And the name chosen was... Mike May. So congratulations, Mike. We'll be contacting you soon to get it out to you. And thanks, seriously, to everyone who, who entered and took the time to, mm -hmm. to write everything that they did. It was really captivating and enjoyable to read what y'all wrote. Not what, not just what, but the whys. Yes, yes. Uh, plus, it helps us improve the show. So thanks, and we'll have another giveaway soon. Now that the basement is nearing completion, our attention turns towards furnishing our new gaming space. Now, I know that not everybody has a dedicated gaming space in their home, but you can make one easily enough just by simply adding one of the high-quality gaming tables from BoardGameTables.com. Not only will it look amazing in your home, but it instantly transforms an ordinary place where you happen to play games to an extraordinary gaming space. So go check them out over at BoardGameTables.com, and please mention Heavy Cardboard when you do. It's time for some lists. Yeah, it seems you can't go on BGG, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, or anywhere else that has you reading, listening, watching, or talking about board games without running into just about everybody's top X games of 2016. My question, though, is how the hell has everybody played all these 2016 games already? I mean, I went to Essen. I brought a bunch of games home. I had more games shipped to us. We had all these in hand before BGGCon. We've played games every single day for two months. And there's still a whole bunch of games that we just haven't gotten to yet. So how does that happen? And this is why the Golden Elephant Award finalists aren't released until late March. Yes. Because we still have games to get to. We don't want to give short shrift to games that deserve to be considered simply because they came out late. That right. doesn't seem right to me. And in fact, there's going to be one game on our list that should have been a Golden Elephant finalist. But we'll talk about that more in a little bit. So we know y'all love lists, and we didn't want to let y'all down in 2016 come to a close. So we have three lists for y'all. Wow! The, the first one are top 10 new-to-us games, but aren't 2016 releases. The second list are top 10 new-to-us small games. Basically, things that wouldn't be considered for a golden elephant, but small games that we enjoy. And the last one is our bottom 10, or achromatic elephant games that will include 2016 <laughs> games. So the last two lists are simply new to us, and so they are going to have some 2016 games in them. Uh, so basically the only prerequisites here are 2016, we had to play them for the first time, and it's not a complete list because there are still tons of games that we have not gotten to that aren't 2016 releases, yeah, yeah. you know? So yeah, just sit back and enjoy. You want to start your top 10 that isn't a top 10? I will I will start with my... Well, why don't you start with your top 10? Because I only have a top 8. Yeah, and that's one thing that I found really interesting when going through this is the first half of the year, we didn't play nearly as many games as I had thought we, yeah. we had. And that's one nice thing about BG Stats is to be able to log all this to help us track, hey, what have we played? And friendless... His site, 
uh, he's a BGG user who uh, has a site where you can email him, get added on there, and you can manipulate manipulate all your plays mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stats and everything, and that helps us track all this stuff. But when I was going through this list, I genuinely had a hard time finding ten solid games that would make this list. And obviously, I did too, since I only have eight. Right. So I I vow to make that. A change mm-hmm. in 2017, but considering the endless game day is still going on and hopefully will be for the foreseeable future, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I hope. All right, starting off, my number ten, Tigris and Euphrates. All right, now that's my number two. Oh, all right, then we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Moving on to number nine. Yes. In this, you have not played, so we're safe. <laughs> Mega Civ. It's the spiritual successor of to Civ and Advanced Civ. And it's not going to hit the table often, but I really enjoyed my first play of it at HeavyCon last summer, and I'm looking forward to it again in 2017. Just, I mean, I love my Civ games, so it makes sense that this would be on my list. Absolutely. And my number eight is a game that you haven't played, so we're safe. It's 18, Dixie. Played that, um, I believe, back in April, and it actually did make my top 50 games list. It's a very... Very cool 18xx game where there's multiple auctions. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of things going on. That board is crazy. The operating round, stock round, track. Just there's so it's the many most things. Yeah, track I've seen. Yeah, there's just so much going on, and I love me an auction, and I love me an 18xx game. So you add those together, I'm happy. Cool. My number eight is Panthelos, which I imagine is somewhere up higher on your list Correct. as well. Correct. That's my number five. All right. So moving on. My number seven game is the Soul Train Age of Steam map. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. My number seven, I, I am surprised is probably not on your list, but that's Princes of the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Yes, technically the reprint came out this year, but... It's similar enough yeah. to where uh, to the original edition. I thought it'd be safe to put it on here. It's Wallace's classic that requires me to to really be in the right mindset to play it, and that's why it's down this far and I, on my that's list. That's why it's not on mine. That's fair. I think. Um, I and we covered it pretty in depth uh, back in episode fifty-seven. If you want to check that out. My number six is Cavum, which we'll talk about here in a minute. My number six is a game you have not played, and that's 1841. It's a game all about leverage, less about stock and rail building, and all about leverage. And you start companies which then can invest in other companies. It's the only 18xx I know to where your companies can hold shares of other companies. And it takes 18xx to a level not seen in just about any other 18xx game. It's one of Tom Lehman's favorite 18xx. And the only reason it's not higher is it's only for seriously experienced 18xx gamers. Uh, And it's absolutely gonna require work outside of the game to improve and wrap your head around all the levers and the layers that this one has. It's just, it's crazy to me that you not only take everything that a normal 18xx game has, but now you add in almost a, a whole nother layer or two with, wait, am I going to invest in your company myself or with my company? And it's just, 
It's just crazy. It is. It was the hardest 18xx that I've played so far. Caveat: I have not played 1817 yet. Yeah, and I have. Um, but yeah, just mind blowing game that I really want to own. But realistically, it's not one that would hit the table too terribly often, even though I'm enamored with it just because it requires often play or or it needs to hit the table a lot more than it would to be proficient at the game. So that's 1841. All right. My number five game is your number eight, Panthelos. We covered that pretty in-depthly in a previous episode. Yeah, episode 53. I just enjoy the fact that it uses dice in a weird way, completely differently than, you know, yeah, just rolling it's, them. Yeah, it's dice as workers, and it's it's a pretty innovative action selection game. Yeah. I mean, outside of the artwork, we really liked yes, it. Yes, very we much. We really did. Yep. So, yeah, go back to episode 53 if you want to check that out. Absolutely. And that's Panthelos. My number five is your number six, and that's Cavum. No surprise here as it carries with it a solid Age of of Steam feel with some really ingenious twists to it and player-induced chaos that is completely controllable. So I, yeah, I, we covered this in episode 46 and both of us are really enamored Mm -hmm. with this game. I really enjoy this game. Being able to blow stuff up. Come on now. Right. So Cavum, my number five, your number six. My number four is Small City by Albin Viard. Also my number four. Nice. We covered this one in episode 49. Yep. We did give it a little bit of harshness for the graphic design, but... And the rule book. And the rule book. But it's it's such a Tetris, (laughs) mind-blowing game that it's, it's really kind of hard to wrap your brain around figuring out where to place your pieces in order to be able to get other things, to be able to get, you know, to get to place your residences, in order to be able to get commercial buildings, in order to be able to do this and that and the other thing. It's it's such a... It's such a good game. It's such a good game. It's a much different Tetris than, like, A Feast for Odin, which is going to be on this one of these lists here in a little bit, that it's all about adjacency and being able to piggyback on what you've built previously as opposed to the aforementioned Feast for Odin. And it's actually, this game is the very reason why the Golden Elephant Award finalists don't come out until late March is because of the fact that we wanted to try and get that out earlier last year, we didn't get to this game until this year, which just doesn't feel right to me and so that's why because this would have made the finalist list last year absolutely for, yeah, for yeah. both of us but unfortunately live and learn so yeah so that's why the uh, golden elephants in march yes and that's small city my number three is the second of three 18xx games on my list and that's 1889 that's mine as well all right so this, along with 1846, are, in my opinion, the best two options for new players to play an 18xx game. It's essentially 1830 with a considerably shorter playtime and, and, in my opinion, a, a better map. Yeah. So it takes all the all the 
choice bits of 1830 and condenses it down into realistically it's going to be about a three three and a half hour game which is totally reasonable Mm -hmm. in my opinion and just absolutely loved it Mm -hmm. absolutely loved this game yeah and i don't i don't dislike 1830 anywhere near as much as you do so the map doesn't bother me in 1830 but i will admit that this is a little bit nicer yep the map (laughs) so that's 1889 my number two is tigris and euphrates which was my number 10 it's definitely a Canizia in the way that it scores. Yes. Because you have to have the whatever you have the least of is what actually scores. And that can that's very difficult to, to do. And it's so it's so abstracted. It's very difficult to figure out and realize exactly how to get the least of, not not have a runaway leader in blue or whatever. Just make sure that you have enough of every color to make sense. Yeah, I appreciate the game, and I enjoy it. I mean, it's on my list, right? But this is one of those that requires it to almost approach, I don't know, like a, uh, I'd call it a lifestyle game, in that you really got to focus on playing this to be able to make any headway as far as getting proficient Mm. in the game. Because I struggled real bad with this game, trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? And keeping everything straight in the game i'm unwilling to invest what this game requires of me to get proficient in it and i i mentioned this back uh when it was a trailer back in episode 53 i i'm okay with struggling with it when it hits the table from time to time but i'm just not willing to dedicate the amount of time and work that it would take to get good at this game. And I'm okay with that. And as long as the game's okay with that, then, then <laughs> I then think we're it'll good. be okay. And I just I guess I I guess I don't value getting really proficient at a game as much as you do because the fact that I'm not going to be able to get proficient in a game and that it's not going to be a lifestyle game for me doesn't make it rated lower. Okay. To me. All right. That's w- we differ on that, yeah. and that, yes. that's fine. And that's Tigris and Euphrates. So that brings us to my number one, and I don't know, it's somewhere down on yours. I think it was number seven for you, and that's uh, the only expansion that's on this list, and that's uh, a couple of maps for Age of Steam. The Soul Train and Disco Inferno, which is a two-map on either side mm-hmm. thing, as well as the Moon map. So those are a couple of my favorites of to one of my all-time favorite games, The Moon, and wait till you hear the interview with Albin Viard, uh, where he talks about how he came up with the design. It's just, it's genius there. And Soul Train. It's an amazing theme, and it's a brutal map about moving souls from hell to purgatory, finally, to heaven. And it was just one of those... Wow, uh-huh. what what an amazing system that somebody could come up with this. And that's somebody being Ted Allsback when it comes to Soul Train and Albin Viard with the moon. The moon, it actually has a day-night cycle to where you can only build on the light side uh, because of the way the sun, the way it rotates around. And then the planet itself wraps around. So you pop out the left side, pop back mm-hmm. in on the right side. And it's just... Mind-bending. Both of those are completely brutal and mind-bending and fantastic. And it shows the 
the scope and the just the variability that the Age of Steam system can bring to the table. Yeah, the, the the number of expansions for that game is crazy, and but I'm gonna say it's about 100 and somewhere between 140 and 180 wow. maps. That's a lot. The Soul Train. I haven't played Disco Inferno, and I wouldn't rank the Moon as high as you. Okay. But I very much. I loved Soul Train because it's so funny because you start off with the players, like you said, in hell, and then you have to move them up to purgatory. And then after a certain point, you have to turn hell over, and that becomes heaven. But anything that's still in hell just goes away. Yeah, well, so, yeah, the souls rot in hell. Yeah, so They're there for eternity. It's like, oh, crap, I'm sorry, people. And it just, <laughs> that's definitely... That's a mind-melty part of that as well. But I really want to play Disco Inferno because there's actually a rule that if you sing Disco or hum it, when it's not your turn, you lose points. Yep. And that's fantastic. And, of course, you know, we we have 70s playlist playing on the background. (laughs) And then people are, you know, moving around Uh and trying to get people to sing when it's not their turn. But, (laughs) yeah, so definitely uh, if you haven't tried Age of Steam... Go back and listen to our review of it, uh, and you can hear how it was a hate-hate relationship at the beginning, yep. and how now it's become one of our all-time favorite games. And I think the Disco Inferno map is still available, and I think the moon is as well, straight from Albin Viard's site himself. So, yeah, how about that? Number one on my list, and they're available. That's weird. What? My number one is 1860, Railways on the Isle of Wight. This is actually the game I chose to play on my birthday, which is always a good indicator of how much I like a game. Yep. It is one of the only two-player 18xx games that are out there. And arguably the best one at that, even though we haven't played it two-player yet. Yeah, we haven't done that. We've played it three and four-player. Oh, I guess I should mention this is my number two game as well. It's a kinder, gentler 18xx. It is. Uh, it's a good learning, learning 18xx. And there's there's plenty of meat here, yes. so it's not a it's not something like 18al or Steam Over Holland. Exactly, that, I was just about to say or Steam Steam Over Holland. Because those you're not going to want to play after a game or two. Whereas this, we could play this 20, 30 times, yes. and it there would still be enough meat there to where it wouldn't get stale. Exactly. Yeah, and that's. That's one of the main reasons why it's so high up on my list. It's just, it's a, it's a, like you said, there's enough meat there to where you want to continue playing it, but it's also a very good foot in the door. Yep. And while it is out of print, unfortunately, it is one of the shorter ones, relatively short. I'd say somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five hours. Yeah. Um, possibly quicker with two players, two experienced players. So definitely something to, to take a look at and... See if it's up your alley. That's 1860, the Isle of Wight. Mm-hmm. So that's all the top new to us games for 2016, the the bigger ones. Yeah. Now let's move on to the top new to us smaller games, including 2016. And so I have 10. How many do you have? I have nine. So I'll start out with my number 10, Visby, Stefan Reisthaus's little small game, same designer as Arkwright. And I assume it's higher up on your list. That is correct. All right. What's your number nine? Condottieri. Also higher on my list. So my number nine, Oddville, going to be higher on your list. Correct. 
My number eight is Fate of Akalon. Hey, Tribes. Yeah, that's my number eight as well. All right. We won a copy of the game at uh, the TBG meetup at BGGCon and actually had the publisher teach it to us. It's a it's a really cool little... Simple. Yeah. Little two-player... like a Two to four-player, but we haven't played anything but two. It's it's not a deck builder because they're pre-constructed decks, but they're they're deck playing games. I guess, yeah. Like I don't know how to deck thinning game, maybe. Kind of. Uh, it has a cool scoring aspect to where uh, it, it's very simple mechanic as far as you play a card, uh, you have a hand of five cards, you play a card, and you go to battle mano y mano for those cards unless they have little rule breakers on them. Um, there's one factions, the elves, the undead, the orcs, and dwarves, I think, are the four factions. But the way it's scored is the player, the first player to get 30 points into their graveyard, points being the the strength uh, of the card, mm-hmm. 30 points triggers the end of the game. Whoever has the fewest amount in their graveyard wins the mm-hmm. game. And we found that it's a real cool uh weeknight school night game to where you can play best two out of three you can mix and match decks you can do all kinds of stuff with that and really surprised at how much we enjoyed that that was that was really good honestly didn't expect to but yeah very much enjoyed it and that's my number eight fate of alkaline tribes my number seven is a game that uh matt just introduced me to shoot two nights ago i think it was it's uh it's from the little pack of games it's they come in packs uh, the size of like chewing gum, like, you know, Wrigley Spearmint gum type size. And it's called Hue, H-U-E. Man, I don't even, it's it's a color matching game to where you're, uh, there's hidden scoring. I you, you get, I think it's six of these little cards and you're playing five of them out onto the board and whatever one you have left in your hand is the one you score. And it's, it's really clever. It is really well done. I can't speak to any of the others. I've never played any of the other little pack of games games, but I was really enamored with the game Hue. So that's number seven on my list. Cool. My number seven is 13 Days. Which is higher on my list, so keep moving on. My number six is a 2016 Essen release, which is Docmas. I've heard it compared to Kingdom Builder. Never played Kingdom Builder, so I can't speak to that. But we've talked about this briefly in a couple of previous episodes to where you're trying to build these little tents. They, they're little like triangle-shaped pieces onto every one of the eight boards that are out there. And each of the players has a special little rule breaker that you can turn tiles 90 degrees, you can shift tiles, you can jump tiles across the board and stuff like that. And... It has some fantastical theme, which really it's not a theme. It's a total <laughs> abstract. But I have found that I'm really enjoying uh, more and more abstracts. And this one just really twisted my brain up as far as the way you can shift the tiles and everything. And every time I've played it, I think I've played it five or six times now. Every time I play it, somebody does something that I'm like, oh, wow, I never even considered that. That's really clever. And I, I appreciate that exploration that goes on in it. And so that's my number six, Doc Miss. All right. My number six is Trick of the Rails. Also higher on my list. Eventually, we'll get to one of yours. 
My number five is Card City. It's higher up on my list. All right, moving on. My number five is Lotus. It was my number 11 <laughs> on this list, so it just barely missed the cut. All right, it's a it's a very beautiful game. It's you you have your own set of cards. Everybody has a matching set, and you deal five to yourself, and you play them out. And you the the goal of the game is to create flowers. Each flower has its a set number of cards it takes to complete the flower. Petals. Petals. There you go. And whoever completes the flower gets the points and can possibly also get a rule breaker. It's just. It's a very, very nice, it's an elegant little game. It's quickly playing, but it, it also makes you use your brain in that you can't just flop down cards. You have to think about, okay, if I complete Edward's flower, then he's going to get the the rule breaker, but I also get the points, and it's just, it, it, maybe that outweighs what, he'll, what he's going to get. Maybe it doesn't. You have to take all of that into consideration. Yeah, it's an interesting area majority game in that the the petals that you play count towards your area majority mm-hmm. for each of those flowers, as well as you know you have everybody's represented by a different bug, butterfly, ladybug, etc. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure how it's gonna. We've only played it three player. I am excited to play it four and five players, but I'm I'm curious to see if. That makes it to where the three and four point uh, petal flowers are unplayable if you're earlier in yeah. turn order because you know it's never going to get back around to you. So just it's it's I'm not I'm excited about it, but I have my reservations about player count. All right, and that's fair, but I still I still enjoy the game the the plays that we have had. And yes, it's only been three players, but like you said, I'm excited to try it in higher player counts. And that's Lotus. My number four is Omen, A Reign of War. That's higher up on my list. My number four is Card City. Which was my number five. Mm-hmm. The entry-level yes. spot <laughs> to Albin Viard's City games. Yes. Which includes the new tramways, Small City, Clinic, uh, this, and there's one more that I can't think of. But this is a good way to... Ge- if you want to try... And see how Album Viard's games work. Mm-hmm. This is a great entry point and a, a really good little filler game. It is. It's a it's a good game to to try to begin to wrap your brain around his adjacency rules and the way that he all of his games are very in depth and that you have to remember the placing the residences makes you be able to have the commercial buildings and then you, you have to remember all of that. And this is a very good way to get your foot in the door. Yeah, a little tableau, card mm-hmm. playing, uh, builder game. Uh, very similar to this year's Capital, which I've only played once, which is why it's probably not on this list. Uh, but yeah, it's a game that we're enjoying playing. Uh, it's still, it's a, it has a I split, you pick yes. mechanic at the beginning of every round. It plays two to four players. And yeah, definitely one that we're enjoying as a filler. That's mm-hmm. Card City. My number three is a game lower on your list, and that was Condottieri. Mm-hmm. Cool little trick-taking game with lots of rule breakers that uh, our buddies from the board game group turned us on to earlier this year. And 
every time we're together, it seems this is hitting the table two or three times in Mm -hmm. a night. Apparently, there was a reprint by Fantasy Flight that made some really negative changes to the game, and that is not the the uh, edition that you're going to want to pick up, is what I've been told. I haven't done a lot of research into it yet, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, if you're into trick-taking games, definitely one that I would recommend Mm -hmm. taking a look at. Yep. And that's Condottieri. My number three is Visby. Which was my number ten. It's a cool little little card game from Stefan Reist House. Yeah, uh, I know that you know that I know yes. that you know. Yeah. And it has an interesting way to go about doing the expansions in that the base game is for two players. And for every base game that you add on top of it is another two players. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can be played up to six players. Uh, I've only played it two, three, and four players. Uh, but... As long as you have the rules translation yes. <laughs> or, or paste-ups, it, it's really a, a very simple... I want to say there's only 15 cards, uh, 16 cards, something like that. It's very small, but very clever mm-hmm. little game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about this on previous episodes. Uh, really smitten with this game. Yeah. Really clever little card game. Yes, very much so. And that's Visby. My number two... Is I forget what number this was for you. I think six. Trick of the Rails. Yeah. So recently reprinted by Terranova and Mr. B Games this year. Before the Kickstarter uh, happened, Justin, the the head of Terranova Games, he actually had his copy of Trick of the Rails, and he's like, "Hey, you want to play it?" And I was like, "Sure." And five games later, I think I was I was just blown away by this game. Obviously, it's an 18xx themed. Game. It's a trick-taking game that has stock rounds and operation rounds in theme, like in 18xx. A lot of people I've been reading are saying, "Oh, it's it's just random because you don't know, you know, what everyone's going to play." And I'm like, you know, I'm pretty proficient when it comes to trick-taking games, and I kind of have a knack for these. Yes. I think there's there's quite a bit of skill that goes mm-hmm. that that's involved in this game, uh, that maybe not obvious right at the beginning uh, when you're first learning the game, but it's one that I absolutely am enjoying, and it's never going to leave our collection. No, it's I, I was very proud of myself the last time we played this game. I actually did a little card counting. And figured out what card that I needed to play in order to win the trick. And that's like literally the first time I've ever done that. And I was so proud of myself. And but it's it's an it's just a nice little filler. That's that's when yeah, that's what think, this list is for. Thank you, filler. Yep. Perfect. So that's trick of the rails. My number two is Omen. A reign of war, yeah. and that's my number four. It's just a it's just silly little everybody's overpowered. Everybody wants to kill each other. <laughs> the art's nice. I just, I, it's another game in the vein of Fate of Alkalon, but the people are given more overpowered. And you are fighting each, is it cities that you're fighting over? You're fighting over cities, and then whoever wins the city gets a cool perk. It's just another awesome little filler game. I mean, and that's what, you know, like I said, that's what this list is for. The artwork is fantastic yes, in that. The metal coins in the, I think it's the, there's like 74 different editions like of this. Like the Omega edition, Something I think. Something like that. 
Uh, they recently had a Kickstarter for a standalone expansion for it, but uh, it's it's just a small little card game that I know Travis from Low Player Count is not a fan at all of this, uh, and I'm not exactly sure why, but it's we've really, really enjoyed our plays of it, and like you said, everything is overpowered, but you go into it knowing yes. that so that you're overpowered against my overpowered, all of a sudden it's not overpowered. Exactly. So, really fun uh, little two-player card game, uh, Omen, Reign of War. So, my number one is... One of the bigger surprises of the year that we enjoyed as much as we did, and that's 13 Days, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's Twilight Struggle, the filler game. It really is. It, it gives you the tension and the stress of Twilight Struggle and the feel of Twilight Struggle and condensed it down to a 45-minute mm-hmm. game. The Daniel and Osgur, the, the designers, did... Truly a perfect job when it comes to presenting that feel of a big, big, big game into a filler game and could not could not be happier with it other than I have yet to win the game. I'm 0 and 4 he against always, you. He always blows up the world. Sorry about that world. <laughs> it's really amazing to me how they were able to pack such punch into a 45-minute game because yep. it, it just doesn't... Whenever you think about the scope of it, it doesn't feel like it could possibly be 40, only 45 minutes long. So yeah, 13 days, Cuban Missile Crisis. My number one is Oddville. This game was given to us by, what's your game? Yep, Mariano Ianelli said, when he and I were talking at Essen, he said, this is his favorite, what's your game game, and he is half of what's your game. Which really surprised me. So I was like, okay, yeah. I guess we'll have to try it. And wow, yeah. really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. You My have... number nine game, by the way. The game is partly a tableau builder, but you're building it like with the group of people that you're playing it with. And you're building Oddville. You're building a city. And you have to obtain resources in order to build cards, which then are put out on the, on the main area of the board. And... The streets have to have to line up or alleyways have to line up. So there's there's only certain places you can put certain cards. And it can even come to the point in like in our last game where you you buy your card and you get it all ready to be built and there's nowhere to put it. Yeah, it it can be frustrating in that yes. respect, but in a good way. Yeah, uh, you can uh, uh, you see what everyone is doing. Mm-hmm. You know what card everybody has the identical, I think it's four card hand to where you can play these cards either for resources or for coins, mm-hmm. uh, which are cards that are face down, which act as coins to be able to allow you to buy high, uh, different buildings or to be able to get access to different resources. It's a very simple, mechanically, very simple, small box game that... Really surprised us mm-hmm. really well. It, yeah, it really, really surprised and me. And the artwork's fantastic yes, on it. Yes, it's beautiful. And that's Oddville. So that brings us to the top 10 disappointments or letdowns or I guess the achromatic elephant, if you will, <laughs> the antithesis of the golden elephant. Uh, these are games that we played for the first time this year that for one reason or another weren't, weren't a hit with yeah. us individually. So I have 10. I have eight. So I'll go ahead and start out. And even if they're mentioned on either list, we'll just mention them there. My number 10 
is probably not going to come to it as a big surprise to anybody that follows us on Twitter. And that's A Feast for Odin. Simply put, it's the game I expected it to be. And that's why I wasn't. it wasn't on the SM preview list mm-hmm. uh, for anticipation. It's it's exactly what I thought it would be. It's it's a puzzle, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna review this here as sometime in January. So I don't want to go in too much about it as to the whys. So a little bit of a cliffhanger, but yeah, just meh. Yeah, and that's higher on my list. Okay, so my number nine is another game that is exactly what I expected it to be, and that's Star Wars Rebellion. It probably surprised people when they heard that I was going to pick up a copy of this, but I was like, yeah, I want to try it. I will say this, that if you're a fan of Star Wars in general, then you're going to enjoy this game. I mean, the theme, they they nailed the theme. What they didn't nail, though, is the combat. The combat's terrible. It is part war game designed by people that aren't war game designers. And what I mean by that is combat just goes on forever. It just it just doesn't end, it feels like. And it, it feels so counter to how the rest of the game feels as far as the theme and just the feel of the game and the pace of the game. It just falls apart in the combat. And oh, wow. just really was not a fan. Played it once... I think maybe twice and got rid of it, but I kind of anticipated doing that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a bit of, it really wasn't a a letdown or a disappointment. It just, like Odin, it was exactly what I expected it to be, but meh. It was disappointing that it was exactly what you expected. I guess, yeah. Right. My number eight is Domus Domini. It seemed like it was going to be a pretty cool game. I was looking forward to playing it, but it just completely fell flat. I just, I didn't enjoy my play of it. I was very much ready for it to be over. It has some sort of winding road mechanic in it that is just confusing and not, just not fun. Did you enjoy it? More than you did. That's why it's not on my list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the the way the, the scoring track works and the way to kick people back yeah, and everything, just, yeah. it, probably not your cup of tea no. on that. And it's an older game, um, but I thought it was I thought it was fine for what it was. Mm, all right, that's Domus Domini. My number eight. My number eight is West of Africa. It had a runaway leader problem that yes. we didn't, and it could be that it was just poor play that we we didn't know how to play it. But nobody playing this game had a good time playing it. Mm. Everybody was just like. Yeah, we're ready for this one to be over. And we wanted to get back to it, but we decided, you know what? Nah, we we all had such a poor time with Mm -hmm. this this game to where it was a a one and done. And and that was that. It's my number six, and I I agree. It just, it was, Sweater Mike got out to a runaway lead. There was no way to catch him. And it just, it just wasn't fun. There was five of us playing, and none of us wanted to play it again. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame. It wasn't one that we were super excited to play, but it was one that uh, we were interested in, but it ended up being, yeah. Yeah, that's West of Africa. My number seven is Fresh Fish. Which this one comes in at my number five, right. too. Whenever we first started playing board games, I enjoyed Freeman Freeze's games. But the more that we, the more games that we play and the more... I guess experienced I get the less I like them and this game was no different (laughs) 
honestly, it just it just wasn't fun for me. It just wasn't fun. It it's one of those games to where it's heavier than it looks. It looks like a real cartoony little cute little game that has a lot of teeth to it. It is a really really mean game, which usually would be something that's up my alley, but there were a couple of issues that we ran into it about uh, players being able to just end the game way too fast mm-hmm. and their first edition versus second edition and trying to understand the rules for the first edition. It wasn't as enjoyable as I hoped it would be, hence why it's on this list. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I won't play it anymore or that I won't give it another shot, just it was a bit of a letdown for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to play it again. I only played it once. It's not um, It's not something I'm going to like run people down to play, but if somebody wants to play it, then I will. And that's Fresh Fish. My number seven is Railroads. This was on Kickstarter a couple years ago, and then a second edition was going to be made, and then even though it had the money to fund, they canceled it. We got sent a prototype of this, and the production quality is crazy Mm -hmm. good grossly overproduced but amazing production it's it's all wooden tiles think 18xx or age of steam Mm -hmm. but all wooden tiles custom map to where the tiles are 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 cut to to fit the shape of the board and all of that however the issue isn't so much the production or the overproduced or anything like that it was that it was it felt like a winsome meets Age of Steam, mm-hmm. which you would think would be an awesome thing. However, it just felt a little unpolished in that it needed... It's a little bit convoluted and it it flies in the face of every tile lane, track lane game as far as d- the way deliveries are made. And once you've delivered to the city, you can never deliver to that city again and... How do you how do you manage? Oh wait, these two companies just merged. Okay, what could it reach previously, and what does it now open up to that company? And there's no way to market. And it just it was great in production value, and it was great in theory. Mm-hmm. It just it just missed the mark. I felt like yeah. So that's, I would agree with that. Yeah, that's railroads. My number six was West of Africa. All right, which we already touched on. My number six is March of the Ants. Another Kickstarter game that I didn't have... I didn't think it was going to be some massively heavy game or anything like that. But it just... It felt a little... A little bit less than what I I wanted the game to be. So that's probably a, a, a me issue more so than the game. That said, I did back the expansion because I'm hoping that adds a little bit of meat to it. So to be determined on that, the production is really nice. Mm-hmm. The cards have awesome artwork. Uh, the You and Dana were kind of yes. wigged out over the artwork mm-hmm. a little bit. The ants are gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like the idea that you're, you're constantly evolving mm-hmm. your ants. So it had some stuff that was definitely going, going for it, but it was just kind of fine, mm-hmm. which fine gets you on this list. Yeah, yeah. And that's March of the Ants. My number five is Ten Goose. Which is my number two. This was one of my most anticipated games of the year this year, actually. And because it was so anticipated for you, I was really looking forward to playing it. 
It's uh, the same designer as Seki Gahara, and I know this game has a lot of fans of it out there that say that there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of the manipulation with the way the auctions go and everything, and it just it just completely fell flat mm-hmm. for our group. Just it was a total miss. We tried it. I want to say I played it four times, and I I. I was waiting for the light to come on and and to really, aha, yeah. that's it. And it just didn't happen. No, I mean, if, if, if the game has a ton of tension, then I guess we were playing it wrong. Because I never felt tense at all during the game. I just, I was, I was looking for it to be more than it was. And it just, it just felt kind of like ticket to ride in the air. I wouldn't go quite that far, but you're not far off. Yeah, maybe it may, maybe I maybe I exaggerated a little bit, but not a ton. So yeah, so Tin Goose, a miss for both of us. My number four is the third in the Thomas Spitzer's Cole trilogy, and that's Hospital Connect. It's my number two. So we were both really looking forward to this because mm-hmm. we we enjoy the rest of the series. We knew it was going to be a later game, and the first play of it, we both really really enjoyed it. And then the second play, we enjoyed it. And then the third play, we were like, yeah, we're kind of all set at this point. And we talked about this on a previous episode, so this isn't going to come to us as a surprise to y'all. But I thought that the variability in the different setups that you could do would really, really add a lot of pop to this game Mm -hmm. and... Nope, nope, no. it really didn't. It, 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 didn't. it fell into the same group that a game like Spirium fell into, yeah, which yeah. was diminishing returns. Like, the more we played it, the less we liked mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And which is a shame. I know it's got an expansion coming out, and maybe that improves it. Mm-hmm. So we'll check that out uh, when it does come out. But overall, yeah, uh, this this was a miss for yes, both of us. Very much so. It's a, a, dare I say, it was. A very big disappointment because just of how much I haven't played Colon Colony, but because of how much I do enjoy Ruchafart, I just was hoping for more for this game. I guess that's why it's your number two, right? Exactly. And that's Hoshbell Connect. My number four is Barcelona, The Rose of Fire. And this is my number three. And we went over this in detail our last episode. Um, I just I feel like there's such a such a huge just runaway leader mechanic and it's so hard to catch that leader and at least in the game that one game that I played of it. I've played it 3 times now and I well I didn't see a runaway leader problem. What I did see is whoever got the prestige lead mm-hmm. never relinquished it. There was no way in the 3 games that I played there was no way to anybody to catch and that gave such an unbalanced advantage mm-hmm, to much. that player be it me in one game or holly in another or whoever had it ended up winning the game it just felt a bit unbalanced and a bit unpolished which is really a shame because this is one of my most anticipated games of the year coming out for at essen and I love the theme, the historical nature of building up the city yeah. of Barcelona. And I like the way the scoring works and all that. But the prestige track just seemed really stuck. It seemed very overpowered. 
So yeah, that was that was definitely a big big disappointment yeah. for me. Yeah, it was for me too. And that's Barcelona, the Rose of Fire. All right. Uh, since that was your number three, my number three is Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which is my number one biggest disappointment of 2016. Yeah. I was looking forward to it. The one hesitation that I had was that Cool Mini or Not was going to be the U.S. publisher of this game, which they're not known for their heavier (laughs) uh, Euro-style games, and I understand why. Now, I know that this flies in the face of a lot of other people. There were a lot of people that really enjoyed this game this year. Yep. We're going to review this on the show. Here's my problem with the game. It doesn't do anything new, which in and of itself is not an issue because there are plenty of games that you and I enjoy that don't bring anything new to the table. However, what those games do differently than this one does is the things that they do that aren't new do better than the other games that come before it. I can't say the same for this. Almost everything in this game is done better somewhere else. So why in the hell yeah. would I ever play this game? Exactly. Why why are you gonna take the time out of your, you know, busy schedule and show schedule that we need to play games for? Why are you going to play a game that many other games do every mechanic better? Yep. And just we played it two player, Matt and I, to learn it, and we were like, wait, we gotta be missing something, right? No, no, no. And then I I posted online, I forget where, people were like, oh, it's better at three and four. Oh, okay, we'll try. No, no, it's Mm -mm. still, we still just a complete and utter miss that there is no way I would ever recommend this game to anybody for the simple fact that everything that this game does is done better somewhere else. So yeah, I would recommend a absolute wholehearted pass on Lorenzo Il Magnifico. All right, my number two was Hosh Bell Connect. And my number two was Tingoose. My number one was A Feast for Odin. Really? Yeah. So that was your number one disappointment. I love Uve, but it just, it felt like he threw up in the box. I mean, it's, he just, it's every other one of his games thrown together in a gigantic box. I'm going to reserve the reasons why it's on this list for our review. <laughs> but that said, it's a trend that I'm not enjoying yeah. uh, ever since Caverna. You had, or Glass Road, actually. Glass Road, Caverna, mm-hmm. a, a Feast for o- or uh, Fields of Arla, and Feast for Odin. All misses for me. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll talk about that more uh, next month. And my number one, like I mentioned, was Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's our achromatic elephant list for 2016. Which is a fantastic name. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah it's Heavy Cardboard's Razzies. It's Heavy Cardboard's Razzies. Yeah. We want to thank Carmen and Elaine, the great people behind Game Surplus, for their continued sponsorship of the show. Great people and reputation and an amazing inventory of games, including many imports and hard-to-find games. Their tagline is home of great games at great prices, so check them out over at gamesurplus.com and tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. So we opened up an Ask the Elephant to the Guild, and we got quite a few questions, but we're only going to be able to touch on a few of them tonight. And so let's start with one from German Mike. All right, so German Mike asks, what games are in consideration for this year's Golden Elephant? And I'll be honest, Mike. We had a discussion this summer about what if there wasn't any games that we felt were worthy 
would we just not give out the golden elephant? And the answer was, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we would skip the year. Thankfully, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. As for which game specifically, you'll have to wait until the finalists are announced in late March. There are too many games we still have got to play to be able to give a fair accounting. Yep. The next one is from Daniel. In your opinion, why do heavy gamers dislike co-ops? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but my guess is that it's a matter of competition. I mean, if I'm sitting around for hours doing mental gymnastics, I want my decisions to have impact on my play. It all goes back to what I love about board games in general, the com- the competition of decision making and having discover who makes the best decisions within that game space. I want to play versus living, thinking players. I don't want to play against the game itself. I imagine that's going to be the case in many instances for our fellow deep end swimmers. <laughs> yes. Actually, it's funny. I said almost the exact same thing, but just different words. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to help somebody else win the game. Okay. I enough. want to win the game. I don't want to spend the amount of time that some of these games take to be kind of a winner. No, I'm good. I'll, I'll pass. Thank Either you. win or lose. Yep. Kind of like uh, Yoda. Do or do not. There is no yes, try. I mean, so no middle of the road exactly. there, right? And maybe it's selfish of me, but that's, that's my that's No, my I, I think that's totally reasonable. So Travis asks, what are some of the least confrontational heavy games you enjoy? Two that come to my mind are Small City and Antiquity. Antiquity does have a little bit of confrontation with pollution and possibly infiltrating someone else's territory, but that's so rare that I don't feel like that's, I mean, a big deal. And Small City, I don't see how that's confrontational at all. What, you, you're going to send a meeple over to somebody else's city? Yeah, I, it, in, I can go produce resources in your city and block you from producing resources in your own city. Absolutely, I think that's confrontational. Mm. All right, well, I guess, I guess maybe we have different opinions on what confrontational is. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, this ended up being seriously a real thought-provoking question for me because I, w- I went back to our, my notes from our top 50 of right now episode and I can make a case that every one of my top 20 has some amount of confrontation in it, be it business-wise like in 1857 or Arkwright or Food Chain Magnate or the military and Through the Ages or Three Kingdoms Redux. I mean, even worker placement has work, has confrontation, mm-hmm. right? I'm not sure that there are many that I do like that don't have some form of confrontation, be it direct or indirect confrontation. That would be the epitome of multiplayer solitaire mm-hmm. then? Yeah. I mean, Feast for Odin? Yeah, uh, right. Um, but I'll try. The one that came to mind is Roads and Boats. But if we're playing... Go ahead and leave your minds and see if I don't come visit. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I really had a hard time with this, that I don't know that there really are any. And I th- I would pose this to the guild and to our listeners. What are non-confrontational games mm-hmm. that you enjoy that are on the heavier end of the scale? Because I really, really could not come up with any. Very interesting question, Travis. Thank you. All right, from Andrew... How much does the needs of the show drive your game day selection? Do you ever feel any regret by it, like you would rather play a well-loved game, but you can't because of the show schedule? The needs of the show 
absolutely drive what we're playing. Remember back to when Tony was explaining why he left the show. One of the main reasons was the tyrannical nature of the recording schedule. It's brutal. But with the new format, it's lightened up some in that we're now able to play some of what we want versus what we need to play. Plus, the endless game day that we're doing is certainly helping with that. Yeah, it definitely isn't just and like you said, before, with the old format, it was so difficult because we not only had a feature, but we also had two trailers that we had to play. And since the trailers are gone now, it's just, it's so much easier because now we know, hey, we need to play X game on Saturday, but after that, we can play something else. Right. Whatever we want. Yep. Exactly. Another from German Mike, he says, how does this year's list of golden elephant finalists compare to previous years? Are there any clear front runners? And obviously, we don't know what the finalists are yet, but... In my mind, there are no clear frontrunners. There isn't anything that stood up with a neon sign waving, saying, Hey, I'm the Golden Elephant winner! It just... That hasn't happened yet. In every year previous, all three years, yeah. that's happened. Yep. It was, it was pretty much... We knew early on that Arkwright, Food Chain, and Madeira were all going to be finalists, if not winners real early on. Mm-hmm. However, this year, that's why it's so important for us not to rush to judge and allow ourselves time to play the potential candidates. as Play them as much as possible and play as many of them as possible. And that's why we don't announce it in December with Essen having been in October. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's just not enough time it's just, it's not to feasible. play it yet. Also from German Mike, when will you feature your first war game in this podcast about medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, and 18xx, and other related topics in the board game we have Well, with the new weekly format, my goal is February, but that's a goal. Playing every day is certainly helping with that. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, all our Patreon supporters are currently voting on which one it's going to be, so... Mm-hmm. They have three choices, and we'll see what it's going to be. And I will definitely take the heat on this one, Mike, because I've literally played, I think, two war games in my entire life. And, I mean, I enjoyed them, but I definitely have a lot to learn when it comes to them. And, you know, it's also an issue of other games we want to feature on the show, and they've taken a back seat, and that's my fault. Not entirely, because of the fact that when it used to be the previous format, that impeded our ability to be able to, because we had to get so many games played uh, because of having three games on the show as opposed to the weekly, now Mm -hmm. it's only usually one. It gives us a lot more freedom on what we can play throughout the week. So that kind of goes back into the whole new format thing and being able to go back and play older games, be it games we featured and talked about previously on the show or some of the war games that are going to take you know, six months before we're comfortable being able to review them. So this is going to allow that. So the good news is it's coming. The bad news is it hasn't happened yet. So sorry about that. Yeah. Mate asks, when will you review Seki Gahara and the Great Zimbabwe? All I can say is at some point. Both of these are games that I want to play enough to review. I mean, I've played... The Great Zimbabwe a few times, and I love it. I've not, I, we kind of sat down and started to play Sekigahara, but it didn't. We kind of stopped. <laughs> uh, 
I'll, I'll say this. You have my word that both will be sometime in 2017. I know it's vague, but I hate the idea of giving a firm date yeah. and then dropping the ball. Plus, in the case of the Great Zimbabwe, we've already covered a number of splatter games, so we kind of want to spread them out a little bit. Yeah, we don't want to have, you know, a splatter month, and that's all we do. Right. Also from Mate, what is your favorite Vital Lacerda game and why? And are you excited for Lisboa? My favorite still Vinos, uh, but I've yet to play one of his games that I, I don't enjoy, to mm-hmm. be honest. And yeah, definitely excited about Lisboa, for yeah. sure. I have to agree with you. My favorite is Vinos as well. And um, and I'm very excited for Lisboa. We have a prototype that's all ready to go with the current rules and everything and looking forward to getting that to the table. Yeah, me too. Super excited about it, as well as the rest of our group is, so it shouldn't yeah. be a problem. From Daniel, can you tell us why no love of Mage Knight? It's a heavy game. We haven't played it, pure and simple. Um, A lot of our friends have, and they all really enjoy it, and we have talked about having a Mage Knight game day, actually, here at the house. And, um, I mean, it'll have to wait for the Essence games to be played, though. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, hopefully, uh, we're going to get it played. I can't promise a feature for it, but we'll talk about it on the show probably spring, summer, Mm -hmm. hopefully. From Chris K, uh, have your thoughts about a game that you reviewed changed either for better or for worse? If so, what game and why? This is one of the surprises that we kind of had in store for 2017 is that we want to start doing a new segment of going back and revisiting some of the games that we previously uh, reviewed and talked about and see if and how our feelings have changed. Certainly, there are games that I feel differently about now than I did a year or two years or three years ago than I did then. So, yeah, that's definitely something that we're going to be doing Mm -hmm. uh, in subsequent episodes. Chris also asks, not exactly heavy, but why doesn't Edward like Glenn more? And what does Amanda think about it? So you go first. Amanda hates it as well. Oh, hate's a strong word. I, I dislike that game a lot. Why? I really can't say why. It just didn't click at all in any... I played it like four times, and I just... I couldn't wrap my brain around the placing the tile in the front and then moving around. I just... I couldn't... My brain just won't work that way, I guess. I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it. For me, I, I still struggle putting my finger on it. I enjoy the action selection mechanic that you were talking about. It's the same one that's in Shipyard and the same one that's in Craft Wagon. Mm-hmm. And but I can I, get them in those games. <laughs> but that's the majority of the game. I think that could be it. The, the fact that that is the majority of mm. the game. And I, I, I want there to be more than it is. And like I've said all along, I know it's a me issue. There, tons of people love yeah. this game. So I know it's a me issue and not a Glenn Moore issue. But but yeah, that's the best I got. Yeah. I, I sat and thought about this and that that's all I could that's all I could roll with. From Christian, he's, he asks, how have your taste in board games evolved since you started the podcast or since you started being involved in the hobby? Have you become more selective in the games you enjoy or purchase? Yeah, I think it's yeah. natural for, for that to have, to, to your focus to narrow and to, to learn what you do and do not like, right? Absolutely. I mean, I know my tastes have changed. I mean, when we first started playing games, I... I loathed competing. I hated being the one to make someone lose. I hated confrontation in games. I love theme a lot more than I do now. 
I just, I've definitely grown as a gamer because now I want to throat punch you and I want to win and then, you know, do a little dance. So why do you think that's changed? Is it because that's the way I am or do you think it's a natural evolution of going from lighter games to heavier games? I I don't know. It's a good question. I feel like it's probably a little bit of both. I feel like in order for me to be able to be competitive with you, I have to step up my game because you guys, you don't understand how smart this man is. And it's so hard to win games against him. And I, I can't be a little flower over in the corner, not wanting to punish him for whatever in a game. You, I have to, in order to have the possibility of maybe winning. And I, I'm, I'm more comfortable with, um, with the people that we're playing with. I'm more comfortable in my own space and my own skin just as a as a growth in general and becoming older, you know, just all of that, all of those things I think play a part. I think that's all that's all fair. And I think if I wasn't the just the person and and the way like uh, the question earlier from Travis about, you know, non-confrontational games and to where I could make a case that every game that I like is confrontational. And I I'm not an aggressive guy when it comes to games in if it's appropriate, I am sure. Right. Obviously, dominant species stuff like that. But otherwise, I just I just play hard, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to win it, that whole competition of decision making. And so I don't know how to take it easy. I don't. I think that does you and everybody else that we play with a disservice because if you win, this way you feel like you earn that exactly. win. Yeah. And I. It's the only way I know how to be. And so early on, to go back to uh, when we first got into this hobby, you literally almost never won a game. Yeah. Like, you would win one every 20 or 30 yeah, games. Yeah, it was bad. And, I mean, it got it got to the point to where we were considering getting out of the hobby yeah. because it wasn't fun for me because I don't want to beat up on you. Right. But at the same time... I, I want someone to be competitive with me and to challenge me. And I think it's awesome to see this growth in you. But I'm just, I'm grateful that it did happen. Yeah. And you've come a long way to oh, where yes. you are very much my equal. Maybe not in the very first game <laughs> no. when we learn a game. You you tend to struggle uh, when we learn, again when we play mm-hmm. a game for the first time. I get games quicker oh, than yes. you do. But that's not a intelligence thing or anything like that. It's simply, I get them quicker. Mm-hmm. But once you get them, you're absolutely my equal, if not better. I've never won Dominion. Not once. I've played it a dozen times. Either you or Matt has won every single game that I've played. Well, that'll change. I don't know that it will, because you're a smart cookie. I don't know. <laughs> so, talking about becoming more selective, have we become more? Have you become more selective in the games that you enjoy and or purchase? Absolutely. I... I Take uh, the Rosenberg, take Feast for Odin, right? Um, that was a game that I would have previously bought sight unseen, mm-hmm. no doubt. Oh my God, this looks amazing. Yada, yada. Now, I had had Matt not picked up a copy, we probably wouldn't have gotten it. No interest. Stefan Feld games. I I've moved past him. Yeah. His 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 style of designing is is not something that appeals to me anymore. Now so we still enjoy some of his games: Castles of Burgundy, mm-hmm. Bora Bora, Trajan, etc. 
But for the most part, absolutely, I feel like we have learned what we do and do not like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the show in some ways has evolved to reflect that. But at the same time, there we still owe we owe our listeners, I feel like, to venture outside of our own specific bubbles to make sure that we're able to bring some of these games that a lot of people out there don't talk about mm-hmm. to be able to talk about them. So personally, yes, I feel like it's refined the show to a point it has, but we still have to stay with a more wide base for the show. Right. What, what do you think? I think that, I mean, you know, in the beginning you like everything because you've never played anything like it before. But as your knowledge base grows and become more familiar with things you like and don't like, mechanics that you like and don't like, whether you really like theme or you've decided you kind of like mechanics more, it becomes more important just to not spend so much time just playing anything that's put in front of you because your time is more valuable than that. And you realize that the more you play. Yep. I think that sums it up well. Luke touched on, uh, are we ever willing to do a look back on older episodes? And absolutely. We already covered that. So yes, absolutely. Yep. All right. From RBD Dial. Do you prefer short but completable or keep the game on the table for weeknight heavy games? And do you ever continue a game later? So this is an interesting question and one that we've discussed ever since I started the whole endless game day thing that I've been doing the last couple of months. If the goal is to play a game each day, does that mean you have to complete one each day? Or can we continue a bigger game over to the next day and whatnot and continue the streak? I'm down with the idea. I love the idea of, like, we just recently got uh, the copy of The Colonist and doing Era 1 one night, Era 2 the next night, Era 3 the next night, Era 4 the next night. I mean, that's a big game. There's no way we could possibly get that done in a weeknight with three or four of us. So, but how do you how do you log that that it shows that I played a different so so here that's my conundrum I love the idea of especially with the basement being finished and gonna be able to have four and five tables down there set up and and having one room we can close off so the cat can't get in there I love the idea or for these bigger war games awesome idea but I need help from everybody that's out there listening because I, I this is a legitimate thing that I'm struggling with that the goal of the Endless Game Day was to watch less TV and play more games. So if I'm playing more games, the mission accomplished. However, I want to be able to log this and I like I kind of dig having the streak going. I mean, one of our listeners, Murr, he's... He eclipsed 750 straight days of gaming. Let that sink in That's for you, insane. folks. That's nuts. My point is, though, I kind of want both. So help me answer this question. I love the idea of it, but I'm not willing to sacrifice the streak, right. which then causes us to play more school night game mm-hmm. type stuff. And so I'm really legitimately struggling with this. So please help Mention it in the guild, email us, tweet at us, something. Let me know your take on this because I really want input on this. Yeah, because we actually had a big discussion about it even before this question was asked because I personally feel that if if you haven't played a game to completion, then that doesn't continue unless game day. But that also brings up, well, okay, so if you want to leave games set up, then 
do you spend an hour on that and then you go play another game that's an hour, hour and a half long? Just so you can have one completed. Exactly. So, and that's, that's a question that we're struggling with. We don't know the answer to. So hopefully you guys can help us because legitimately help us really because we don't know. For all those folks who don't know how to get in contact with us, Amanda. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com. We love hearing from you guys, so please don't be shy. Our Twitter handle is at heavycardboard. Our Facebook page is heavycardboard. Our YouTube channel is heavycardboardvids, V-I-D-S. Our Instagram is heavycardboard. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. And our BGG guild number is 2044. All right, so that's it. That's a wrap. That's that's all we got time for, because honestly, uh, we have a game to go play. Yes. Yeah, we love y'all, but uh, yeah, we got a streak to continue. So with that said, look for Terraforming Mars next week yeah. and our interview with uh, the publisher, Stephen Bonacore from Stronghold Games. Mm-hmm. So, you got anything else? Oh, I guess Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. Thank God 2016 is almost over. Yeah, and uh, rest in peace to the litany of yeah. people that, we just lo- that we've lost throughout the year, including, you know, recently we, we heard that Carrie Fisher passed. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're all bummed about that. We just saw Rogue One a couple nights ago on Christmas yeah. Day. So, yeah. Sad one. Getting old sucks. Yes. Yes, it does. And on that note, Happy New Year, and let's have a much, much better 2017. Yes, please. We'll catch you all then. Bye, everybody.